How well do you really know someone before you hire them? Or better yet, how well should you know them? What questions should you ask before hiring a tenant rep broker, let's say? Today, we'll give you seven questions you must ask, and we'll answer these questions for Riata as well. I'm Jan Gibbons. And I'm Bob Gibbons. That's on this episode of the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast. questions and I get to start. The first question you should ask a tenant rep broker before engaging them is, how long have you been in the commercial real estate business? <laughs> well, it's actually only going to be seven questions, not 20 questions today, but I take your point. 20 questions is the name of the game. You insert how many actual questions you put in the game of 20 questions. Oh, I didn't realize that was the way that was played. All right. So moving right along. I'm here to help you out. (laughs) So why is this important? Um, You know, I would say it's important mainly because, you know, you want to know that somebody's got experience, right? You don't want to go to a doctor and find out that they, you know, you're their first surgery. (laughs) That would be kind of scary. And this isn't, doesn't quite have the same consequences as surgery perhaps. But um, like in my case, I've been in the real estate business so far, you know, we're recording this in 2021. I've been in the business 37 years, which is a little scary, but uh, I was a very young pup when this happened. Just out of diapers. Well, almost. I was 20 years old, almost about to turn 21. I was junior in college. And uh, so, yeah, I got a lot of great experience from a pretty young age. But yeah, you definitely want to ask this of your broker and and really every service provider, but, you know, your broker particularly and your tenant rep broker even more so because you're about to sign a lease that could be worth hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, uh, tens of millions of dollars. So um, you definitely want to know that you're working with somebody who is a very qualified and experienced person. Are you a tenant rep exclusively? And what about the rest of the firm? And should I even care? That's three questions. Go. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I think this is really one of the biggest issues because, you know, I'm always harping on conflicts of interest and avoiding conflicts of interest and make sure that your representative only works on one side of the transaction. And it's really important because you need to know who represents whom, right? And, uh, you know, if you have somebody who takes listings and they have three office buildings listed for lease for the landlord. They work for the landlord on those three. Well, you come along as a tenant and this same agent that you hire shows you five options and three of those are their listing. Can you trust his or her advice? I don't think you should because they're going to get all the commission on those three and only a part of the commission on the other two. And even if you decide you like the one of the three that he or she represents, how do you know in that negotiation who's really whose side they're on? I mean, it just raises way too many questions. So that's why it's really important that you use somebody who really only works as a tenant rep exclusively. So you never have to question that whether they're on your side or not. Now, it's important for um, whether or not the rest of the firm is on that side or not, because 
I think it's important that the entire firm pick a side. They either represent landlords or they represent tenants. They don't try to represent some tenants this time and some uh, landlords next time, or they have part of the people in their firm representing landlords and part of the people representing tenants. I mean, for example, there's a lot of firms where the owners, the brokers that own the bill, the, the the business, the brokerage firm, you know, they might represent a tenant on one deal, but one of their agents is representing the landlord on that same deal. Well, they're an owner of the company. They're going to have a financial interest in both those sides, so they're not truly objective in that situation or shouldn't be. And one more thing I'd like to point out is we talk about conflict of interest a lot, but this is regulated by TREC. If we don't get a signed rep agreement from our client, by law, we are representing the landlord. We're required to. So I I just think this is so much bigger than a lot of people realize. It's totally a bigger issue, and I think it will become a bigger issue in the future than Mm -hmm. it is today, and it should be a bigger issue than it is today. Unfortunately, the laws of of the Texas Real Estate Commission track that you just mentioned don't really help us a lot because even though they demand that we disclose who we work for, that's only on a transaction-by-transaction basis. That's not in the big picture and, uh, and so even though you might be able to check all the boxes that you did things legally correct, I don't think that still means that it's in the best interest of the client. Yeah. So how long have you been a tenant rep exclusively? Yeah, again, great question. And I think this is something you should ask before you hire a, a tenant rep broker. You know, in my case, I've been a tenant rep broker exclusively for 17 years. So the first 20 years of my career, I was a general broker, did land acquisitions, uh, land sales, uh, property management, leasing of office buildings, uh, prop, um, asset, asset management. management. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. So, But all that was sort of focused on the landlord side of things. And then uh, 17 years ago, I decided to switch sides and, uh, and, you know, show my clients the way that landlords operate, how they, you know, what I learned from those 20 years and so this is one of our unique value propositions here at Riata. It's my experience on the landlord side that is now used for the benefit of the tenant. But uh, when I was Pulling representing back landlords, the curtain. Yeah. Well, when I was representing landlords, I never represented a tenant. And now that I represent tenants, I never represent a landlord. And uh, so I think experience on on that on both sides has been helpful. But um, but yeah, seventeen years as a tenant rep. What is your area of geographic specialty, and what percentage of your business does this represent? You know, again, a great question. If if you're going to hire somebody who is going to do a deal in Tucson, Arizona, but they happen to be based in Denver, well, how much knowledge do they really have about Tucson? Uh, how many deals have they done there? How recently? What percentage of their business is done there? All those things are are really important questions. You know, in our situation, we 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 focus on the Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas market. That's where our main geographic specialty is. Now, I've done a lot of business in Houston, Austin, San Antonio, both on the landlord side and on the tenant side. So I have a pretty good understanding of what um, what those markets are about and how to help a client in those markets. But if, again, back to the Tucson um Example, if I had a deal teed up in Tucson or one of my clients from Dallas wanted to open up a location in Tucson, can I help them? Absolutely. Am I an expert in that market? No. So what do I do? I partner with somebody that is. 
you know, I have the knowledge of the client and the best interest of the client, that other person has the knowledge of the market. So between the two, we'll be able to serve the client really well. And yeah. often how this happens is we're following our client. They pull us in there. Right. They have a location in Plano, Dallas, Coppell, Colleyville, and then, oh, we want to open one in San Antonio and Houston. So that's how a lot of this, quote, out-of-town business occurs is totally. accommodating our clients. Yeah, because we're not going to Houston or San Antonio and trying to market ourselves and, and you know prospect for clients in those markets. It's not a good good use of time, not a good bet. Um one of the other things that's interesting, though, is that if we do have that opportunity in, you know, in Denver, Tucson, Seattle, wherever, you know, we know tenant rep brokers in those markets and not just people that are affiliated with our company necessarily. We will go find the best person for the client's need in those in that market who has the geographic and the property type um, expertise that's needed for that particular assignment. And we're a member of a national, international association of tenant representative firms, independent tenant rep firms that only do tenant rep. And so we have a big network. You know, you want to do a deal in London, you want to do a deal in New York, wherever. We, uh, we know people and we can do that. So what types of buildings do you specialize in and what percentage of your business do these represent? Another great question that should be asked. Um, you know, it's important, again, for all the same th reasons we just talked about with a geographic specialty, the same thing applies when it comes to buildings. You know, if a, comp if a tenant rep broker has only ever worked in, say, uh, office condos, well, the way an office condo is managed and leased and the issues around surrounding that are very different than if they're in a high-rise office building or in a big warehouse building. You know, warehouses have their own set of issues like fire suppression issues and um, dock doors and what if it's rail served? Do we need rail service for this particular client? You know, all those kinds of things come into play. And if, if somebody only does business in one segment um, and then they get an opportunity in another segment, it can be a problem. I mean, if somebody asks me to uh, list a big track of land for sale, you know, I'm not the right person for that. I don't have that experience. I don't want that experience, fortunately, either. No landman. But I know people that do that. And so I will partner with that person or I will just hand that, refer it off to that other person who does have that. So, you know, in our situation, we only represent the landlord. I'm sorry, what am I saying? That was like a weird time warp. I think there's going to be a bolt of lightning strike you dead. Freud should be shooting me right about now. <laughs> Um, no, we only represent tenants, and we only do that in office buildings and warehouses. Um, you know, we're not going to do retail. We're not going to do restaurants. We're not going to do hotels. Uh, we only do that. So on any given year, you know, 70 to 80 percent, 90 percent of our business will be office. The rest will be warehouse. But um, that's our specialty. Okay, so we've talked about geographic specialty, building specialty. Now, how about a specific industry or type of business? A medical doctor comes to you and says, how many medical doctors have you placed? Are you good right. at this? Is this a specialty? Yeah, I mean, another good question. I mean, people will ask me often, what is my um, industry specialty as far as who the client is? And, you know, in our business, that isn't as relevant of a question now, it's, it's one that makes sense to ask because there are some nuances. For example, one of the th things we do a lot is financial services. 
Well, there's certain things with financial services that are out there that need to be addressed. Another one that we do a lot with is mental health. Well, mental health is a is an issue because, for example, I was showing a space, a building to a, a tenant a few years ago, and it was one of these atrium buildings. It was like a 15-story building where every single floor uh, overlooked about, you know, the, the corridor overlooked this huge atrium where you could see all the way down to the first floor. Well, my first question to them was, all right, you're a bunch of psychiatrists. Mm-hmm. How many clients do you have who are occasionally suicidal? Jumpers. Jumpers. And I hate to even think about that, but... I think it's great you did think about that. But that's industry experience. Have you watched Mel Brooks and High Anxiety? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It could be quite uh, detrimental. Well, anyway, so that's where it comes into play is the application of the client's needs and use to um, the particular building. I was on a property tour yesterday with a client... And uh, and they do therapy services for children with autism and special needs. Well, we've got quite a few clients that do that. So there were some things about that. This is going to be their first office location. They've been doing it in the homes where their therapists go to the homes of the of the children. Now they're going to do it in the office. So there were things they didn't even know about. Even though they're the expert on their business, they didn't necessarily know certain things about how to use space for their particular needs. So, you know, fortunately, because of my background with that, I was able to help them. So, you know, on the other side of that, however, is that an office user is an office user to some extent. If they're going to go into a multi-tenant office building, let's say, that's 10 stories tall, it doesn't really matter that much if they're a financial advisor, an insurance company, a software developer, an attorney, you know, a lot of those things are fairly simple, um, uh, similar, I should say. So um, this one is not my biggest uh, issue, but there are times when it definitely helps. Um, I would say that it's more important in industrial probably than it is in retail, in, in office, because in industrial, um, certain ways that people use, like an Amazon fulfillment center, for example, that's going to be a pretty specialized thing that a lot of people, a lot, they need a lot of certain specific things to make that work. Um, so I, th- I think there's a potential for that to be a more relevant question in industrial than in office, but it comes into play in both at, at times. Can you provide references? Why, certainly I can. Um, I'm not talking about your mother. <laughs> well, I'm not sure she would be a great <laughs> reference for this anyway, but... Um, yeah, I mean, references are always good. And, you know, if you look at our website, we have references. If you look at our uh, LinkedIn profile, we have a lot of people that have uh, recommended us. Um, you know, if you look at our YouTube channel, for example, we have video te- testimonials from clients um, in the past. So, yeah, I think all this is a good thing. And so you ought to do your research. Clients should before they hire a tenant rep broker and um, see what they can find out about them. Who do you charge for your services and who pays? You know, this is really important because I would say if you talk to a tenant rep broker and ask them how, um, what it's going to cost to use their services and they say it's a free service, don't hire that tenant rep. <laughs> they're idiots. They try to act like they're not, like this is a free service. Well, it's not a free service. We get paid. It's just a question of who writes the check. So the landlord writes the check when you do a lease. The seller writes the check when you buy a building. That's just the way it's set up in the United States. And so 
the rental rate that the tenant pays already has a commission built into it for their representative, for their tenant rep. Uh, if they buy a building, that building already has a commission built into the purchase price for that. So who's really paying that fee? Is it the landlord or is it the tenant? I argue that it's the tenant or buyer um, that's actually paying that fee just as much as the landlord is. So uh, I, I think that's the important thing. Now, what we get charged uh, or what do we charge, that's fully negotiable. You know, there is no such thing as a set um, fee amount, commission percentage. And uh, and so that number is negotiable. There are numbers that people throw around as, as if they're industry standards, but you know, those numbers change by property type, by uh, location in the country. Uh, so I'm not going to throw out what those percentages are here because uh, that wouldn't be appropriate. But um, 99% of the time, the landlords or sellers pay our fee in terms of actually writing the check. Now, there are times when we have other services that clients might want. For example, during COVID, a few clients decided they were going to sublease their space. Well, now they become the landlord, the sub-landlord, if you will, in that situation. And so now they're the ones that have to write the check, not just for us, but for the sub-tenant's tenant rep. Any co-broker that brings yeah. a client to the deal. Or if there's some sort of a consulting or a um, uh, we've, we've done some expert witness work in the courts. So in those situations, then our clients might have to write a check, but that's fairly infrequent. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast. At Riata Commercial Realty, we exclusively serve companies that lease or purchase office and warehouse space. Unlike what Bob just said, we never <laughs> represent landlords. Find us at texastenantrep.com or give us a call at 972-677-0028. Thanks for hanging with us today. Uh, let other people know by giving us a review. We'd really appreciate that. Five-star rating to go along with that would be even better. We'll be back next week. Bye.